0: Welcome to the same page, uh, the podcast by The Moon, a feminist bookstore in Singapore's Chinatown, where a space specializing in books from women authors, uh, authors of marginalized genders, authors of color, and authors not represented in the Anglo-American centers of publishing. I'm Ruby. I'm the book curator at The Moon, and today I'm going to be speaking to Sarah, who's the owner and founder of The Moon, and my boss. Hi, Sarah. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Hi, Ruby. So um, let's talk about why you decided to start The space.
1: Wow, that's a very loaded question and one that I have answered several times uh, over the course of the two years of running this business. Um, where would you like me to start? With what inspired me to open the business or why I feel the need for something like this to exist? I don't think it's the same question. Mm, not really. One is about what inspired, what hmm. like sparked the birth of the moon and one is like the overarching need for something like this. Yeah, I
0: guess, did you see a gap in like the bookstore market in Singapore? Or was it just, a, uh, I really like books, let me do this?
1: It was a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. So I had been in Singapore, f- now I've been in Singapore for almost 11 years. And I never really felt like I found a place for myself, where I fit in, where I belong, where I could meet people of the same mindset. And... I really love books. I love reading. I love talking about books. And I just decided that, you know, when the inspiration came, that this would be the ideal way to marry my two interests together. And I was very lucky that everything worked out. And here we are with the moon. What are the two interests, books and... Connecting with people.
0: Oh, okay. Um, No, so you were talking also about, like, the philosophy behind the space. I mean, in this field that I did at the beginning, I talked about us being a pretty niche bookstore for books by a certain demographic oh actually let me backtrack, I don't think that our books are by a certain demographic, I think that the books that usually can be found in bookstores are by a certain demographic and our books are pretty much everybody outside of it, like I don't think of the authors as a niche group it's so ridiculous to be like, oh authors of colour are a niche group Mm. when they are most of the writers in the world yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, did you see like a philosophical reason to start? This, this a little case? bit.
1: And part of it led was led by actually my observation of a bookshelf of philosophy books. So I this was after the year that I graduated from LaSalle. Um, I did my thesis on representation of women in modern media. So I was seeing a lot of inequality in every... And everywhere I looked, um, it was something that was really top of my mind. And I ended up taking a trip back home for a couple of weeks to uh, to Lahore. And I was at one of my favorite bookstores that I spent a lot of time growing up. I was looking at their philosophy section, and it was very glaringly obvious that there was not a single female philosopher. And um, before I got, you know, really annoyed at the bookstore and the owner was like, "Why don't they have any female, you know, philosophers represented there?" um my very next thought was well actually I can't even name any myself so it's a little bit of self-reflection like are you making conscious decisions to diversify what you're reading or are you just like happy with what is presented to you and you're open to like just consuming that um that kind of got me to reflect on my own bookshelf music I was listening to, the films that I was watching and to put a little bit more thought into who are the people who are creating these things and what is their intention, what is the agenda behind and how is it informing my view of the world Um, and that made it very obvious to me that what I was consuming wasn't as diverse as I would like it to be and it was a very limited viewpoint that I was consuming Um, and that's pretty much what inspired you know the philosophy behind the moon that it's not to say that books by you know white authors or white men aren't good it's just that we see so much of that everywhere else that we go and it's not to say that you can't find a lot of the stuff that we stock at the moon at Kinokunya you can it's just that it gets buried in everything else that you are seeing and the curated selection of the moon is meant to be a way for you to step away from everything else and maybe pick up something that you might not pick up in another bookstore
0: yeah, I also like. just want to clarify that we do stalk white male authors. We do. This is a question that we get a lot in store from people who aren't regulars. Like They'll walk in and I'll give them this feel about what the bookstore is and they'll go like, oh, you guys are racist and or sexist because you don't have white male authors. But we do, we do stalk. Uh, and also reverse racism
1: isn't a thing, guys.
0: Yeah, I, I think like to say reverse racism, you have to be a little bit more sophisticated. Some people are just straight up like, you guys are racist. <laughs> um, no, but we do... I do enjoy a lot of books by, you know, white male authors. We just brought in Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut, which is one of my like, all-time favorite books. And I know one of your favorite books is Dune. Oh, absolutely. I adore it. Yeah. Um, and so it's not... We're not, like, angry feminists who are like, oh, men suck, white people suck, let's not read this stuff anymore. It's more like... It's so great that they've been given the chance to publish and write and have, like, the machinery of... The publishing industry behind them for like decades right uh but where are the same opportunities for writers who don't fit that demographic and for us it's more like a place to highlight um the books that you wouldn't necessarily find elsewhere yeah yeah
1: i think you summed it up pretty nicely thank you it's my job (laughs) you're very good at your job (laughs)
0: Um, I know that last year you were doing a reading challenge where you only read women of colour writers, am I right?
1: Yep, that's correct. Yeah, how did that go? It went really well, um, but there were a couple of uh, hitches along the way. I am not a big fan of leaving books unfinished, and I think last year was the first time that I had to accept that it's okay to leave books unfinished. That revelation has kind of changed my reading world. Um, But there were a few, like... Self, uh, uh, self-deprecating moments and I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I finish this book? I set this challenge for myself. Um, but you know what? I think life is too short to finish a book that you're not enjoying and uh, that's been a big part of my reading list this year where I'm accepting that it's okay to leave books unfinished and Did pass you- them on <laughs> to somebody who will appreciate them more than I do. I'm a bit concerned because I asked you like,
0: have you been reading Women of Colour Writers and you were like, yeah, but it's also the first time I've not finished a book.
1: Is there a reason why? Um I think part of that is because there's so many different things and so many different genres that I've had to I've had to branch into. Normally, you know, before I opened this business, I was very comfortable in my niche. I will pick things that I know I'm going to like. So it's very easy for me to finish them. But with this challenge, not only am I, you know, reading only women of color I'm also being forced out of my comfort zone into different genres and that's I think what led me to not finishing certain titles.
0: Mm. So
1: what? how would you describe your reading comfort zone? I like science fiction, yes. I like fantasy, I like something that takes me away from the day-to-day reality that I have to face um, so something that I can just kind of lose myself into because I think a lot of with other kinds of readings that I'm doing whether it's like something that's self-help or a business book, you're constantly thinking of ways that you can apply that knowledge into your life. So you're thinking into, like, there's two layers to what you're reading. One is what you're reading on the spot, and one is the, how can I make this useful? But with something that's science fiction or fantasy, there's none of that. You're completely losing yourself into that new world that's being built. And for me, that's always been a great form of escape all through my childhood growing up. That was a genre that I always enjoyed, so I'm learning how to break myself out of these like, comfort zones and read things that will enrich me in different ways.
0: Have you discovered new like female science fiction fantasy writers in the course of the challenge or just in the course of like working here? I
1: have. I can't name any at the top of my list because I read a lot of books. But <laughs> I have several and I think we can jot them down at the end. I think uh, I'm very familiar with your bookshelf.
0: So I know that you have read The Priory of the Orange Tree,
1: I've just started it. Yeah.
0: Oh, wow. I'm good. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And uh, let me think. What else has Sarah read? Have you read Octavia Butler? A long
1: time ago. Mm. Yeah. We brought in one of her books for an event that we did a couple of years ago. Like, I think in 2018.
0: Yeah, we think we're trying to be a little bit stronger on genre fiction. I think Um, it's very easy to find women writers in general fiction because it's not like closed off to women Um, but in genre writing like science fiction or fantasy obviously there are like standout female writers but by and large the famous writers are still men and I think maybe that's why like when you were breaking out of your zone it was a bit hard to find
1: I think so I mean if you go on any, uh, any like book blog or something like that and try to look oh what's the next book that I read it's mostly white men who are writing who are being talked a lot about in terms of what science fiction book or fantasy book that you can read and one specific example I can give is Brandon Sanderson He's a fantastic writer and um, he continued the Wheel of Time series after the original author Robert Jordan I think passed away Uh, and he started his own like series of um, a very ambitious novel that he was writing and I read a couple of his and I really enjoyed his books but every time I went on to like an online blog or a platform to search for something else to read his name kept popping up and it was frustrating after a certain point because he's a great writer, but he's not the only writer who's writing something worthy of the genre. Uh, and it was a bit frustrating for me because I couldn't really see anybody else who got that same level of um, appreciation as he did.
0: Mm, yeah. So, how, do, you, do you go onto blogs a lot to look for new books to read?
1: I try not to. Um, by and large, ever since I opened the bookstore, it's been a lot of uh, whatever we get in the store. I try to read that. Mm. Um, occasionally, I will take a trip to Kino Kunya and pick up something that I see off the shelves. I'm not much of a recommend-me-a-book person. I try to like figure it out on my own. But lately, I have been taking recommendations from you specifically because you seem to know my reading habits so well. Yeah, Sarah's very predictable when it comes to reading A little books. bit, yeah. If it's a book set in South Asia with
0: a strong female protagonist, I can probably sell it to you.
1: Probably. And I think a big part of the reason is that growing up, I didn't really have a lot of books like that. Um, there were not very many South Asian female protagonists, and any, especially based in South Asia. There were a couple of books that I read with South Asian uh, female protagonists based in the UK or based in the US talking about the immigrant experience living in those countries. But there was very few that I read um, that were that looked like the lives that I was living. Oh, so can you tell me like what books now kind of represent that experience? I know that you're a big fan of Nimita's Place. Oh, my God. Nimita's Place was one of like the best books that I've read in the past couple of years. I recommended it to my mom and me recommending a book to my mom has to mean that it's great because she is so picky with anything that she reads. So just for context, Nimitta's Place is written by um, Akshita Nanda, who
0: is a friend of the moon. We've hosted her book launch. We've had... We actually discussed Nimitta's Place, Place at our first ever book club. Mm-hmm. So we're like very fond of her. And maybe you want to give us a summary of the book?
1: Sure, I'd love to. Um, so Nimitta's Place is uh, set... It tells the story of uh, two women uh, who have the same name. One is Nimita, who is living in Lahore pre-partition, and one is her granddaughter, Nimita, who is living in Singapore in uh, present day. I think the book was uh, released in 2016, so 2016. Um, And the story kind of follows the struggles and challenges that the two women face in their lives. And I think what I particularly enjoyed about this title was the... I don't really get to experience my home city in the way that I would have liked to, and seeing Nimita's experiences in pre-partition Lahore kind of gave me an insight into the kind of lives that my grandmothers and you know ancestors would have experienced. And it was a very heartbreaking story because my family went through, experienced partition, and moved over from Amritsar to Punjab, uh, to Punjab on the Pakistan side. And what Nimita experiences is the exact opposite, where she has to leave her home in Lahore and move to India, to Delhi. And it's a story that so many people went through. And I know nothing about it from my family because that history, that records, we don't have any of that. So it was a particularly heartbreaking story for me because I got to get, get an insight into the day-to-day lives of you know all these women that came before us. And then I obviously live in Singapore and the present day Nimita is based in Singapore. So it's very relatable from that aspect as well. So Nimita's Place is a fantastic book and I think I've read it twice already. Oh, really? I read it again, yeah. I, it's too. a fat book. It was a fat book, but I've read it twice and I think it's one that I will continue reading again and again. I think I would like to read it while I'm back home as well just to see how if that changes my perspective. I think... Um, the, the physical location of where you are when you're consuming something does have an impact on your experience of it. Uh, and I felt that with books that I've read back home, which were set in Lahore or in Pakistan or in India, I felt differently about it as opposed to if I'm reading it in Singapore.
0: Yeah, I remember I had the book on my shelf for years Um, well at least since it's been published and you told me you really liked it so I picked it up and as I was reading it you came in and you were like oh my god I know where that is you know Mm -hmm. my house in Pakistan is just like down the street from this thing that she mentions and it's such a it's really unique experience to actually recognize yourself in literature or at least I grew up reading a lot of things that were very British Uh, and then I progressed into like very American books and it was a while um, I think my first singlet book Was a Catherine Lim book I think she's fallen out of fashion In the singlet community um, So I, I can't remember much about the book It's been a very long time since I've read anything by her But definitely was surprised to be like Oh, I don't have to imagine what this looks like You know, when you're like growing up And you're reading kids books set in Britain, right? Like enid blighton's oh my god i read all of enid blighton books growing right up. and i'm just like what is a toadstool <laughs> <laughs> like what you know like what where is dover like we have dover but it's not the same thing dover you know? mrt exactly like we don't have the cliffs of dover and it was so <laughs> much extra filling in the blanks sort of yep. work that you had to do which i'm not mad about i do think that like it's so powerful to let literature transport you to different places um and I think it's good for kids to stretch their imagination every now and then. But the first few times I read Singlet was very illuminating, I think. Like, oh, there can be books written where I live. Which is such a stupid thing to say. Yeah. Like, obviously, there can be. But, you know,
1: yeah, you no, know exactly I, totally, I, I know mean. exactly what you mean. I think that uh, one of the Enid Blyton books that I read a lot was the Mallory Tower series. Uh, where there's like, They're in like a boarding school In a boarding school And I remember going to my parents And being like Why can't you send me To a boarding oh school Oh my god too? I asked my parents If they could send me To a boarding school And they were like What boarding school <laughs> like, what Singapore is, that? is so small
0: Where do you want to go <laughs> Wow Yeah they, they weren't for it um, <laughs> But definitely like It was such an Aspirational thing Or like I read the babysitter's club So much mm. When I was a kid And I kept asking my parents Like oh I do not have a babysitter They like What do you think <laughs> you life is um and and just like being at the store and getting to meet customers, I hear the same story over and over again yeah. from customers where I'll recommend like a singlet book um let me think, what have I recommended recently? Oh, I'm a big fan of jeremy tiang's writing um so he wrote a short story collection, It never rains on national day and um He also wrote this novel called The State of Emergency. Oh no, State of Emergency. No, the, in the beginning. And one of them is set in present-day Singapore and one of them is historical. And I recommend them over and over again to customers. And if they're regulars, they'll come back and they'll be like, oh my God, I've never read anything like that before. I've never read historical. It's just set in Singapore. I learned so much about my own political history. And it was also just very cool to have characters and recognize them and go like, oh, this could be someone that I passed on the street, you know. Yeah, and I think like, another writer that really encapsulates that is Bali. Oh, uh, I love her. I know. I've literally read all of her books. Bali Ko Um, she's written two books set in Singapore, uh, Inheritance and Sugarbread, And both of them are about Sikh families mm. in Singapore. Um, it's not a demographic that is huge in Singapore. And I think she might be one of the only writers writing from that perspective. I think writing so. fiction from that perspective. I
1: think so. I haven't read Sugarbread, but I've read oh Inheritance. Oh my gosh, you have to read Sugarbread. It's been on my list forever, and I read her other two novels, uh, which was Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows mm-hmm. and The Unlikely Adventures of the Shergill Sisters. And with all of her books, whether they're set in Singapore or somewhere else, like the moment you pick it up, you know you're not going to stop until you are done with the book. Like I've, I read very fast, but I read these two all of her books so 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 fast i couldn't get through them fast enough um and i think that she has this way of bringing her characters to life that i find a bit rare in south asian writers um the qualities that they depict it's very like i could she could be writing about my cousins or my sister or my mom or my aunts like it's that relatable
0: Oh yeah, her characters are incredibly real. I remember when I was reading um, Erotic Stories for Punjabi Widows, I think I stayed up till like 3 or 4 in the morning. So I started the book pretty a late. A sign of a good book? Yeah, and then I was like, oh, I need to keep reading. I need to know what's happening to the characters. And I've forgotten their names at this point, but I do think about them every now and then. Like I can sort of picture... Um, so the plot of the book, I don't want to give too much away, but you can tell from the title that... What it is? You can kind of tell <laughs> that Punjabi Widows are involved. So the main character... Is a young woman. Um, she's South Asian in, and uh, British, part of the Sikh comu-
1: community in London. Yes,
0: yeah, and uh, she finds herself becoming a writing instructor to a bunch of old widows, uh, and they start writing erotic stories. That's, I think, that's all you need to know. Yeah, it and was I, a very yeah. funny book. Yeah, and I can like picture the room that they're in. I can picture all of these like old. Ladies wearing, you know, like, traditional clothing, uh, making faces at each other. It's so... She's such a vivid writer. And I feel that way about all of her books. And every time I sell her book to a customer, they'll come back and they'll say, like, I didn't even know that I could read something like this. Yeah. Uh, which is... is a bit sad to think that it's, like, 2020 and there are still people who've not read
1: books set in their own cities or yeah. in their own communities. Yeah. There was another similar ish series targeted towards like young adults uh, that I read growing up. I don't recall the name of the author. It was such a long time ago. But I remember the title of the first book was called Bindi Babes. And it was about these three um, Punjabi sisters living in the UK and their mom had passed away. And their dad was trying to be, you know, a good parent, but like not try to bring uh, people home or not date. Mm-hmm. And then these these three girls are kind of dealing with their Indian identity, the fact that their mom has just passed away, and um, um, being, you know, uh, British 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 citizens. And I found them so funny, but they were very rare. Like I I remember looking at looking for books like that when I was growing up, and they were few and far between. So when I read Bali's books, it reminded me of a little bit of an adult version of those books.
0: Oh yeah, I can see that. I think her latest book, uh, The Adventures of the Shergill Sisters, is about three sisters uh, going on a trip together, and their mothers just passed away. Um, and they're, you know, figuring out how to be adults, figuring out how to love each other. It's a very sweet... Um, Turbulent story, I yeah. guess it's a it's a great road book. like they've taken this giant road trip around India. yeah, uh, and I, th- yeah it is it is really special to read books that are that kind of like strike you close to home. But the interesting thing about that book is I have never been to
1: India, mm, and I've, I've never been to India either. what really? i I just I can't. I would not. I applied for a visa a couple of years ago uh, to go for a friend's wedding. And uh, got rejected, and then the you know the relations between the two countries are so tense, usually all of the time mm-hmm. that uh, I don't think that at least in my lifetime I'm going to be able to get to go to India. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That like small yeah small detail to yeah. really ruin the mood. Oh no, I'm <laughs> so sorry about that. I mean, no, I didn't I'm just mean it. About like <laughs> the weight of political history. It Um. is a lot. I think that, I feel like, you know, coming back to Nimita's place and Bali's books as well, like, I really appreciate these books because they give me an insight into our shared history. Mm -hmm. And if you come from a place like Pakistan or India and you've grown up, you know, and you've gone to school in these countries, you'll know that the education that we receive is so biased and so, it just gives you one perspective. Like, growing up, we didn't learn much about Indian history or... Um, our collective history. It was a lot about Pakistan and what it meant to be Pakistani. And then it wasn't until I moved to Singapore in 2010 and I became friends with a bunch of girls from Bombay that were in the same course as me that we learned that, oh, we actually speak the same language. Hindi and Urdu is spoken almost the same or how similar we are and what we're taught is so vastly different, even though like less than what partition happened like 60, 70 years ago. Mm. Um I mean, my grandfather was born in India, so that's not that long ago.
0: Oh yeah, mine too. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really not that long ago. Um, oh yeah, but what I was saying about like not having been to India, which I guess is a shared experience that we have, mm. is even though the place is unfamiliar to me, if you read a good book, you feel like you're being you're being brought right there. Yeah. And I felt like I almost felt like it was a bit of my story, yeah. even though it really wasn't.
1: Yeah. Um, So we don't really know exactly what our family was before partition, but either they were Hindu or either they were Sikh. So reading Bali's books actually, and even Nimitta's place, gave me an insight into what it could have been. What it could have been like had my family been Hindu before they converted to Islam and moved. Or what it could have been like had they been Sikh and moved over or had to convert. And I really, really like treasure those insights because the reality is, I'm never going to know. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're never going to know. And I think maybe that's
1: why you and I
0: are so attracted to reading. Yeah. We're always reading several books at the same time. And it's it's the transportive quality of yeah. literature. And, and, yeah.
1: and generally, Ruby and I tend to have very different tastes. Oh yeah, we do not read the same books.
0: Really, we don't. <laughs> Or if we do, we have very different opinions yeah. on the books. Yeah, um, It's like rare that we like the same books. So us talking about Bali's books is yeah. really quite special. Yeah, Mostly, I think, I can tell if you're going to like a book. And I can also tell in, in the same moment that I'm not going to like it. There was it. this
1: book that uh, Ruby was ordering books in a couple of uh, weeks ago. And she sent me a screenshot. And it was, I think the book was titled Well-Behaved Indian Women. And we have it in stock at the store at the moment. And she sent it to me and she's like, oh, I think you'll like this. And I'm like, you don't know me. Why do you keep sending me all these South Asian books? And then the book came in store and I forgot about that incident. And I picked <laughs> it up and she was standing next to me. And I'm like, oh, I think I'll read this. And the look on her face. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to be predictable, but it's okay. No, I'm very
0: good at my job. That's this <laughs> is also true. Very
1: clairvoyant.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're having a tea break. once. Sorry. A lot of talking happening. I actually wanted to ask you, do you feel
1: that your reading habits have changed since the moon opened? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I'm reading a lot more books that are translated from their original language, which I don't think I was very aware of Mm -hmm. prior to opening the moon. Um, And it's something that's really changed the way that I understand how I read a book. Because I think that... The original language obviously has a different impact than it does in when it's a translated copy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing that's uh, changed a lot. I, as much as I don't like to admit this, I do end up le- reading a lot of self-help and business books because it obviously helps inform my decisions of how to, you know, how to strategize and like how to take my business forward. So that is something that I don't enjoy, but it's something that I learn a lot from and I value that experience.
0: Can you actually tell us about some of the translated books that you've enjoyed? Ooh, let me think. I've put you on the spot. You really have. <laughs> I should have prepped a you list. You should
1: have come prepared. Oh no, I didn't know you were going to ask me that question. You didn't think I was going to ask you about books on a book? Covers? I didn't think you were going to ask me about what translated books I've read in the past <laughs> like few years. But I don't know if it's translated. I think it's translated. Uh, the one that we both read recently, until Day and Night. Until Night and Day, yes. yes. It's by Beeswa and it was translated from Korean. Yeah, I did not enjoy it. Oh, I loved it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you had a very different perspective on it than I did. It was very dreamy and I think that was the intended effect. Mm-hmm. But I was not like enjoying it at all. The process of reading it gave me a headache because I kept bouncing back and forth between the different metaphors that she was using. Yeah. Um, and it just was not something that I was very comfortable with. So just to explain
0: the book briefly if you've not heard of it Um, it's set in Korea and you're following the protagonist who kind of doesn't really have much going on in her life she was working at a cinema for a while and then the cinema kind of closes down um, and then a bunch of mysterious things happen in her life and really like it's not a very plot driven book it is the sort of book that I think is more for atmosphere than for plot Um, and and I think at some point I guess the timelines start to double onto themselves and things keep reoccurring and things keep happening in patterns and in sets. Uh, and I found that like a really fascinating way to write a book. But I, I think I tend to prefer... Mm, not prefer, but I really enjoy atmosphere books. Mm. So like, baseball definitely going to check out anything else that she's written. One of my other favourite writers, Deborah Levy, is also the same kind of writer where... Like, I can tell you what the book is about, but it's almost not important. I think what's more important is the... I've described her prose to people as metallic,
1: Mm. which I think is maybe the best way,
0: because I I choose the word.
1: I I get that, but I am somebody... I've learned this through the process of these new books that I'm trying to read, Mm -hmm. um, that I, while I enjoy world-building and atmospheric, I need it to go somewhere. I need to have a plot. I need to be able to follow a protagonist and their story in a... Maybe not specifically linear way But something that is less dreamy Than this particular book was like a payoff Kind of, yeah Um, and And I know that that's like a Not a very positive way to think about a book But that's just what I enjoy And I'll, you know Ruby mentioned that Dune is one of my favorite books And I think that that's one particular book That I feel very strongly about um, I've had people that have recommended this book to me come to be like, it was so slow, it was so dry, that nothing was happening. And I can kind of see that, but to me, it's a lot about world building. And there's, um, they're telling you about you know, this new society, this new culture, this new planet. So for me, that world building and that atmospheric thing is definitely something I enjoy, but maybe in a slightly more less romantic or dreamy way than uh, Basewell's book was.
0: Yeah, I'm actually reading Dune now. Uh, Sarah let me It's her... been three months. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, so Sarah lent me a giant hardcover edition of Dune at the beginning of the Circuit Breaker. And I think I only really got into it two weeks ago because uh, I had a lot of books to get through. And I was really depressed. <laughs> I was inside. I didn't really feel like breaking into this giant book. Um, it is intimidating to look at. Yeah, like yeah. you open it and it starts with like... It does not start, But there's a big glossary At the end Where they try and explain All the words yeah. And there are maps And the like Family trees And I thought like Oh my god <laughs> I I don't know if I have The energy for it But I, I have started it I'm I'm actually not sure How the book system works But mm. I'm done with like Dune The first one Okay And the second one I think is what dip or something? Yeah, However you say it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm in
1: between. Okay. those Two now. So the way that uh, the book is structured is that the first half of it is uh, setting the stage, and the second half is all the characters owning the roles that they've been mm-hmm. that they've established in the first half of it. So the second half is really where like the the, the story t- up. Yeah, the action yeah. picks up.
0: I am surprised at how much I'm enjoying the book. Mm. It really didn't strike me as the kind of book that I would necessarily gravitate towards. I, mean, I don't read a lot of classic science fiction. Um. Yeah, but it, I I get why you like it. I do understand the appeal of the world building because I think maybe like the first five pages, I'm just kind of like figuring out okay, okay, like what is happening yeah. here, what rules of our world still apply, and what rules yeah. are new. And there's so much new
1: vocabulary that yeah. you to pick up.
0: Once you like get the hang of it, it's kind of like.
1: So I was introduced to Dune through a documentary that one of my lecturers in college showed us. Um, It's called Jodorowsky's Dune. And it's about this documentary that... um, This film that this Mexican director called Alejandro Jodorowsky wanted to make about Dune. Uh, And he was this really experimental filmmaker... And my professor showed us this documentary and I was so inspired by this person and his passion for this book that he hadn't even read. Oh, he, he, just, read it. he hadn't read it, which was the funniest thing in the world <laughs> to me that he like put three years of his life and all this money into like this project and he'd never read the book.
0: So what, did someone just tell him the story?
1: Yeah, someone was like, I love your work and I want to make a film. And he said, yeah, let's just do Dune. And it like became this crazy thing, this project where he got this team of individuals to come together and basically hand illustrate the entire, the entire film, what would yeah. have been the entire film. Um, and that documentary is still something that I watch actually every couple of months when I'm feeling in a bit of a creative slump because his energy and his passion for what he wanted to create with this film is so inspiring that I was like, okay, I really want to read this book. And then I ended up reading the entire series.
0: Like all six?
1: All six of them. Wow. Um, so you decided
0: that you would one-up Jodorowsky. And pretty like, much. I will make the film and I will read the Pretty film. much.
1: Um, there is a new film coming out like, uh, uh, yeah, this okay. year. Yeah, okay. So I don't like Timothy Chalamet. And the <laughs> whole time I was reading it, I was like, I can't believe he is going to be the He next. gets to play this, yeah. So mm. in, the, in the what would have been this film that Jodorowsky made, he actually trained his own son to play the role of Paul. And like he put him through like hours of grueling martial arts training to be ready to play this role. And then the film just never ended up getting made. So I found that that particular bit of the whole thing that, you know, really inspired me that despite the fact that this film never got made, the impact of that team that came together can be still seen in film to this day. Because that team Then took those ideas That they worked on And they went to work On projects like Alien They went to work On projects like Star Wars And um, what's the one With um, Oh my god I forgot the name of it But a whole bunch Sorry No No. That was a bad joke Ruby (laughs) Um, uh, Indiana Jones Yeah Oh
0: what Okay I guess it does it
1: Mm, I don't know I mean It was a lot of like The way that he was Planning to shoot this film Mm -hmm. And those particular scenes He actually All of of these people Then ended up going And working on these Other projects And taking that Creative inspiration Into the rest of the work That they did So in the documentary They describe Dune As the greatest film That was never made Because it has such a big Impact on the film industry To follow
0: Which also makes it The greatest book That he never read Pretty much Yeah, Yeah wow I do love books When actually, when books come out um, and have like movie spin offs, do you watch the movies?
1: Sometimes. So there was one book, again, which uh, you loved and I was not a big fan of. Uh, We had it at the store. Um, What are you going to say? Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. Yeah. Did I get it right? (laughs) Yeah. I always get the title wrong. It's a
0: very long title. This book is by Olga Tokarzok. I think I got her last name right. I think she's Polish. She is Polish. Um, she won the Nobel Prize for Literature last year. And this book is about an eccentric old lady who is trying to solve a series of murders. Who's trying to solve a series of murders in her small town, village. Um, very charming old lady. But the prose is very dense. Mm. I think she's a very It's translated as well, right? Yeah, but she's a very like stylized writer. And I get why
1: you weren't having yeah. it because
0: it, it's kind of like whacking through the weeds with a A little on. bit
1: I mean the premise of the book was something that I was really interested in and you and Elaine raved about the book so much that I really wanted to give it a shot Elaine works with us Elaine is the tarot reader at the moon yes and she takes all of the beautiful photos that you see on our Instagram feed um, and I was really intrigued by the concept but I found the book very difficult to get through and it's mm-hmm. not a very fat book it's pretty reasonably sized and I'm generally a fast reader, but it took me like a week and a half to get through this book. Most people would be happy with that kind of time. Yeah, I I was not very happy with myself. Um, and then I looked up the and then I looked up the the book and found that there's a film, mm-hmm. uh, a Polish film called Spor, Spoor, S P O O R, and I decided to watch it. And oh my gosh, the film, in my opinion, was so much better as an experience than the book was for me. Because it really built the tension in the way that I felt like the book wasn't able to. So in this case, I felt like the the film was better than the book. But mm. I'm interested to see what you think. Because I know you mentioned that you wanted to watch the film as well.
0: Yeah, I actually don't watch movies anymore. I just have so many books to read. <laughs> and I feel a bit aggrieved that the movie telling me how fast to enjoy it. You know, it's like a film is a time-based art yeah. form. And I like having the flexibility that you get with books. But yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll have a look. We actually... So Sarah and I put together a reading challenge last year. Uh, I think it's literally called the Moon Reading Challenge. Pretty much. I don't think we came up with a better name than that. Um, But it's 25, maybe? 25 prompts. Um, And you're invited to check off the different prompts as you go through the year. And hopefully you end up reading like 25 or even more books a year. That's roughly around two a month. Yeah. And one of the... One of the prompts is to read a book that has been turned into a movie. Yeah. Have you been doing the challenge, actually?
1: I haven't been checking it off, mm-hmm. but I have been trying to pick books based on it. So I think I'll go through what I've read this year and see what else is missing now. Yeah, I've been doing the challenge. Um, I'm usually a pretty like free flow
0: kind of reader. Yeah, I don't same. really want to be told what to do. Uh, but I decided to do the challenge because I wrote it um, <laughs> and it has actually pushed me out of my comfort zone a bit. There are some like some prompts you were like, oh, a book that helps you improve yourself, yeah, which could be an invitation for self-help or could yeah. be an invitation for something else or um yeah, books that help you change the world, so you're like invited to read nonfiction fiction across different genres.
1: I think the one prompt that I'm actually really... Uh, looking forward to but also a bit nervous about is the uh, pick up something that you have left before that you started reading and that you didn't finish Um, and I think that I have so many books like that where I start and I'm like okay I will get to this at some point and then it just adds into my pile of one day I will finish these I just haven't I haven't abandoned it yet so I think I'm looking forward to seeing what I can pull out from that and see okay maybe I didn't maybe I wasn't in the right headspace to appreciate what the author is trying to say when do you decide when to put a book down and give up? Oh, that's such a difficult question. Um, it really depends on the content and what I'm hoping to get out of it. Uh, I think if it's a non-fiction title, I really like to take my time with it. And I think this is a conversation you and I have had in the past where mm-hmm. I will read fiction very fast. Like If I pick it up and within the first four or five pages, I the, the, the writer can hook me that's it. I will abandon everything else in my life and read this book. Um, I have no self-control when it comes to staying up late. Very bad for business. It, Please, yeah. I know. <laughs> I will stay up to like four or five, trying to like finish this book. My eyelids will be drooping, but I'm like, no, I need to know what happens next. Um, but when it comes to non-fiction titles, then I tend to take my time like uh, because I really want to absorb the information that I'm consuming, especially when it comes to Um, self-help or a book that I'm trying to learn something from. So at the moment, I'm currently um, halfway through this book called The Artist's Way, which is a book written by Julia Cameron, who created this method of productivity and creativity, of um, enhancing your creativity. And that's something that I have been taking my time with because it's a lot of self-reflection so you read and you reflect and you journal about it and that's something that I I know I'm going to take my time with this particular book you but you've been reading it as part of a reading group I've been reading it as part of the group but I have fallen behind Mm -hmm. um and I know that a couple of other people in the group have also fallen behind and that's part of what she says is inevitably going to happen um so I think that once I finish the the group I will continue to do it on my own as well what do you find valuable about this book So she talks about creativity as a path to spirituality, which is something that I really resonated with. She has two key fundamentals that she talks about when it comes to tapping into that innate creativity that we all have. One is morning pages. So the first thing when you wake up every morning, you do three pages of free flow journaling. And it's kind of um, whatever you know, pops into your head, whatever, whatever it is that you need to get out of your system to be able to focus on the tasks that you have on that day. Um, and the other is a once a week solo artist date, which is something that you, do, you go out and do to nourish yourself creatively. And that's something you do by yourself. So these two tools um, together, one is to empty your head and one is to fill it. Um, and it's something that I have attempted in the past on my own But it wasn't until I joined the reading group that I really felt the benefits of it But, you know, life happens and there's lots of stuff that's been going on So I've kind of fallen off the wagon a little bit But I'm hoping to get back on this week We're actually going to start our own series of workshops Yeah, For The Artist's Way next month In uh, late September, yeah
0: Oh, yes, this will probably be out in September This episode will be out in September um, Yes I think it's been really interesting experimenting with different formats of reading. I, I tend to think of it as a very solo activity. But we've been doing book clubs. Well, we stopped since Circuit Breaker, but we, we tried it a few times before. Um, and we also host the Queer Women's Book Club yeah. um, at our bookstore. And it's been really interesting for me to experience reading as a group activity. Because I, I think I see myself as quite... a introvert mm. or at least like someone who likes all of alone time and reading is nice because you can do that yeah. um, but it was always very interesting to hear what other people have to say about the book um, have you experienced that your reading of The artist Way has changed based on being in the group uh, reading it by yourself
1: so the book is split into chapters that you have to read weekly. So once a week, um, we have a Zoom chat where we all come together and we discuss our findings from, and from the last week and what our experiences were. And knowing that I need to come into this group with something to say or be able to at least know what the other people are talking about has definitely put that pressure to read the cha- at least read the chapter. If so it's not, like school a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of like self-reflection and sometimes it can get a bit heavy depending on the chapter um, there was a chapter that made you reflect on your relationship as an artist with money and I know that that was something that for a couple of people in the group was really difficult because sometimes monetizing your art or what you perceive as your creative output can be very challenging mm-hmm. um, there was a chapter on recovering a sense of safety when it comes to producing creatively and that was particularly difficult for me Um, I honestly, I think this particular book and the course that we are planning to launch as well is a lot about what you put in it. If you're willing to, you, if you're willing to put yourself as much as you want to in it, like if you're willing to go deep and uncover a lot of, you know, your creative blocks, you will get a lot of output. But if it's something that you're doing purely for the sake of scratching the surface, then that's probably what you'll get in return also.
0: Mm. Yeah, I guess I asked that question because I've been thinking a lot of the moon as a space for community. We are a bookstore. You can come in, pick up a book and leave. But it also has the additional function of being a cafe and being a space for events. And we have regulars. We have people who keep coming back. I think you hired most of the staff because they just hung around the store. Pretty much. They just wouldn't leave. So I was like, let
1: me pay you to be here.
0: (laughs) Um, And we're actually coming up to our second anniversary which is on the twenty first of September. Yeah. I was wondering if you had any like thoughts on how we've evolved as a community space.
1: Oh my gosh. So I feel like I feel very grateful when I see a lot of our regulars come into the space and because it makes me feel like what I intended what I set out to do which was, you know, build a community space, have a have a place where people can feel comfortable enough. Um, that it can be their second home. They can feel free to express themselves or be themselves. Um, and I see all of our regulars and a lot of our staff who come through as well. I, it makes me feel very grateful that what I set out to do ended up happening. There's always room for improvement and I'm constantly working on you know ways to be better at what I do and provide a more holistic experience for our customers and for the staff as well. Um, I think it's, always, it's going to be a lifelong journey for me, um, but the two years have taught me so much and I'm incredibly grateful for the community that we built.
0: That's so heavy, man.
1: I thought you were going to be like,
0: <laughs> sorry. It's very cool when people tag us in Instagram photos. Oh, wow. I mean, that is pretty <laughs> cool too. No, like this is a lifelong journey for me and I've taken my vow of monkhood very seriously. Oh my God. Sorry, Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. I do feel that strongly about what I do. I mean we we do have a very fun job.
1: Yeah. It's it's really dope
0: to work at a bookstore.
1: We get to talk about books and drink coffee a lot of the time, so.
0: Yeah. Um we actually are planning a whole series of workshops for the anniversary and beyond. I guess we're like yeah. taking our position as a space
1: more seriously. I think the circuit breaker definitely helped to um Help me think about things in a different way, because I was so focused on creating a physical space that I kind of neglected our our potential audience that you know we might be able to tap into overseas and in different parts of the world or people who just can't make it down physically and I think the circuit breaker has made me think about it in a different way that you know we've built a physical space for two years now now how can we how can we grow beyond that? How can we engage with people? who believe in the ideology of what we're trying to do, but who might not be based in Singapore or who, like I said, physically cannot come down to the store. So trying to be a little bit more um, inclusive in the way that we think of our strategy with events going forward is something that I'm really looking forward to. Do you want to share
0: some of our plans for the events?
1: We are working on a series uh, called Personal Space, um, which is kind of like a sound meditation but in a group, um, so you have a little space, we have a couple of people coming in to play records, and really soothing, calming music, so you can choose to sit down, meditate, journal, read, or just hang out in the space. It's a work in progress, we did a trial run just last night, so we're still working on it, um, but stuff like that, and then thinking about, right, we have the space, we're doing something physically. How can we take this and engage a wider audience? So is it doing a recording, doing a video, sending, um, having an online setup as well where we're streaming it? So these are all the conversations that we are trying to have um, with all of our events and things that we put forward going, um, going into the next couple of months. Can you share who we're collaborating with yet? Yeah, we are working with the Analog Vault. Cool. So I'm really excited to be working with those guys. Uh, what else
0: do we have uh, in store for the anniversary month September I am working on a subscription box uh, that will be I guess a monthly shipment of books and merchandise I'm very excited about it because I think there are always new arrivals that I want everyone to read uh, and I I can't convince every customer <laughs> to read it but if they sign up for the subscription box I can foist it upon them uh, that's the plan Uh yeah, and, and it will be nice for us to showcase some of the merch um, brands that we've gotten to collaborate with recently.
1: Yeah, we've uh, we've recently reached out to a couple of artists and makers within the community and engaged with them to do uh, custom merchandise products, um, something that gets them that lets them showcase their craft, but then also creates it, creates a limited edition product for us to be able to offer to our customers. And I think the first of those will be launching in September, if I'm not mistaken. Uh yeah, I think it should it, we're timing it for the anniversary, yeah, and yeah. we'll be doing a giveaway for one of uh, those items as well, so you can keep an eye out on our socials if you're interested in participating. In I'm this. yeah honestly so relieved because
0: I thought we were gonna close down during this. I was
1: terrified too. I was so scared that we weren't gonna have to close down.
0: Um, But just in the couple of weeks after the circuit breaker, all of these plans that are happening, we're very lucky to be invited by Singapore Community Radio to do the podcast, and we've got like tons of other things in the works. So I don't think we're closing down, or at least if we are, like you're working as very hard.
1: I'm doing my best. I'm literally doing my very best.
0: Okay, I want to wrap up the podcast, but I wanted to leave on one last question: What are you reading right now?
1: Like five different books. Okay, name them. Talk about no name them all. Oh my god, I'm... Uh, Okay, I started reading The Priory of the Orange Tree. I'm Mm. only like three pages in, so there's not much that I can say about that. Mm. I'm reading The Artist's Way. And then... Oh my god, you really put me on the spot here, Ruby. How do you not know what you're reading, dude? Because I'm reading a lot of things. (laughs) You see the number of books in this house? Yeah, we're actually recording this in Sarah's house, and it's piles and piles of books. It's, It's horrendous. I am a
0: terrible hoarder when it comes to books. Okay, Sarah can't remember right now, but maybe I can talk about what I'm reading. I'm reading Stitched Up, which is an anti capitalist book of fashion. By the time this episode's out, I think this book will be in the store. I'm, also, I'm reading Dune, as I mentioned. I'm reading Draft Number Four, which is by John McPhee, who's a longtime contributor to The New Yorker. And it's him writing about writing um, and writing about being in the magazine world. This was actually recommended to me by a customer last week, and I'm really enjoying it. I love it when customers recommend books so I think that will also be in store soon um oh oh I'm also reading never mind I'm reading really? a lot of I'm things. not the only one who forgot what I'm reading <laughs> no I don't want to tell you guys what I'm reading it's <laughs> embarrassing <laughs> no come on you have to tell us now uh well I'm reading the bullet journal method okay I'm, I still have like the last is it the one that I lent you yeah the last quarter of it to get through I don't really read self-help books so I think the tone of it is grating me a little bit yeah, and then the last one I'm reading is "Meeting in Captivity, which is a book about relationships. I love that. Uh, I just decided to branch out and see what was out there.
1: because I'm excited to see what you learned from it. Yeah, no, I think
0: like, there is definitely space for the moon to branch out to that kind of stuff too. I think I usually wrote it off as like, oh, any sort of book about sex and dating is dumb. Mm. But that's obviously not true because it's a huge industry. It's so really not. We are going to wade through and see if we can find any good ones and bring them into the store.
1: sounds great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Cool. Thanks, Ruby. Thanks, Sarah. Um, That wraps up the first episode of the podcast. If you're interested in the work that we're doing, you can always come visit us at 37 Mosque Street or you can follow us on Instagram at themoonsg or sign up to our newsletter uh, via email and catch us online at themoon.com.sg. Cool. Uh, Let me know via Instagram DMs or email if there's anyone you'd like us to speak to or if you have any suggestions for future episodes. Thank you.